0: Uh, We are going to read from John 11 today, and we're going to begin at, let's begin at verse 43. It tells us, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is a man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will take will come and take away both our place or our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the continual revelation and reminder of who you are, how you love, and the life that you give. We pray for all of us this morning. Whatever we bring from the week, we give it over to you with arms and hands open, ready to receive all that you have for us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So, if I was a good pastor, I would have like two openings to this, and one of these openings will be based on whether the Leafs had won last night and uh, a praise and celebration and glory of, of a God that does miracles. Um, <laughs> and and if they didn't, I would uh, you know, given they didn't, I should have said something like, you know, well, it's okay because, well, you know, he can he can bring life from death and he's going to need to (laughs) what was more difficult there we go that's my attempt to be a pastor in Toronto in 2022 I think I I I'm pretty sure I nailed it (laughs) thanks thanks Ian there we go one of you so yeah my name is James Scholl I'm the pastor here I I love what I get to do Uh, it's such a privilege to, to be able to serve you and thank you for being with us this morning Uh, But this morning, I am pleased to say that I am going to talk to you about rules. (laughs) That's right, you might think you have come to church to learn about the radically inclusive love Of God exclusively revealed in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But I'm actually going to talk about rules today because that's fun. My parents are coming to visit next week uh, on Saturday, actually, which is exciting and lovely. Uh, But I think it's a good thing that they're not here in the service today because I think my mother would have died of laughter at the idea of her son speaking on rules. Uh, Because I don't know if you know this about me, this is going to come as a surprise to many of you. I wasn't always great at following the rules. Uh, I used to get into a lot of trouble in school for not following the rules. I I have a photo of me from school. I think we can appreciate it. Look at that guy. Uh, Does that guy look like someone that gets in trouble? I doubt it. (laughs) It's just like also impossible for me to look neat and tidy. It just doesn't work right with the shirt, it's already over and the tie and the hair. Thirty years and things have not got any better. (laughs) But I used to get into a lot of trouble. uh, Lots of rules about uh, not talking in class. I used to talk too much in class. Uh, Rules about not talking over other people. I used to do that too. Uh, Probably rules about not encouraging other people to talk. I used to break that one a lot. Um, So you can see how I actually ended up being a pastor. It's more that I just couldn't stay silent for more than thirty minutes. So. can't stay silent for that long. But as a result, I spent a lot of my lunch times outside the principal's office um, and in my elementary school, which is ages 5 to 11, so that's, that's a long time. Uh, because I broke those rules, uh, I, I got excluded because I had to spend my time outside the principal's office, uh, all the fun things that would happen at lunchtime. I didn't get to be part of those. And uh, yeah, in, in my elementary school, there was this hallway uh, between the kind of classrooms and the staff room, teacher's lounge, as we call it. Uh, and so when you're standing outside the principal's office or head teacher, as we I would say in England, uh, all, all the teachers would like walk by and give you disapproving looks. And let's say there are a few kids who all the teachers knew the names of quite quickly, and I was one of them. And, and all these teachers would walk by and give me these disappointed looks and remarks, and and they say, James, can't you just follow the rules? But today we're going to talk about my favorite rule breaker. More on that a little bit later. So last week we looked about several thousand years of Israel's history in a few minutes, we looked about how they kept on breaking God's rules, God's rules to to love mercy, to welcome the foreigner, God's rules to set the captive free, how important these things are to God over and over and over again. And as a result of their breaking the rules, as a result of them not loving people the way that they were supposed to love them, they were cast into exile in about 600 BC. Now this exile was kind of a 70-year timeout, uh, and but despite finding themselves in this foreign, hostile city where the people didn't like them or respect them, where they had no status, where they weren't important, a city that did not want them, God commands them to seek the peace of the city, seek the welfare of the city, as we have on our banner there. God says. You're going to be here for a while. So plant trees, plant gardens, because you're going to be here a while. Have children. You're going to be here a while. This isn't ending soon, but I don't want you to end either. Invest like you're here for the long haul. And yes, God does have these great plans, but those plans are only going to come to fruition if they love that city in which they find themselves, if they seek its peace, if they seek its prosperity, if they seek its welfare. And we're about to like fast forward another 600 years, and quite a lot happens in 600 years, so uh, bear with me <laughs> whilst we do that really quickly. During this time in exile, the people actually did seek the welfare of the city. It's good for them. They kind of learned a lesson there. And God did enact those great plans for him. And as God had promised, those people were returned to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. And and whilst the temple wasn't really quite as impressive as the original, a, a less than perfect temple is still really important. You You heard me talk in that verse just then. These people are worried about their temple being taken away because it's happened before and they remember how painful it was. The Jewish people still had some pretty rough times in those 600 years. Another nation invaded and One, but through some battles, the Jewish people fought off their oppressors. Uh, If you're interested in reading about that, you can read that in the book of Maccabees, which you find in some longer versions of the Bible. You won't find it in our ones, but it's interesting to look at the history of God's people throughout history. Uh, But then the Roman Empire came in, and and no one stands a chance against the Roman Empire. That's just not how things went back then. There are very few empires, even to this day, that can begin to compare with, with just the might displayed by the Roman Empire. And as a result of this, things are really tense in 0 AD Jerusalem, 0 AD Israel, in which we find ourselves. People, weirdly, don't like being colonized and they didn't particularly like the Romans who would oppress them and then tax them for their own oppression. And so from time to time, there would be these violent uprisings and we can read about a few of these. Uh, And these violent uprisings against Rome would always result in very fierce punishments at the hands of Rome. But, But here's the thing. The, the Jewish people, the Pharisees, the religious leaders that we've just read about in the book of John, they knew, they knew that so long as they kept God's rules, God wouldn't abandon them again. They had a very long memory. They remembered Babylon. They remembered Assyria. They remembered the nations that invaded and took their people when they didn't follow God's rules. And so they were really, really eager to follow God's rules to make sure that it didn't happen again. Centuries after the Babylonian exile, everyone would know their people's stories. They knew that if they broke the rules, then God wouldn't hesitate to remove that blessing, to stop protecting them. And and so they kept the rules. They really, really kept the rules they kept the sabbath they didn't work and then they made a bunch of rules to make sure they really really kept the sabbath and they didn't allow unclean people the drunks the prostitutes the tax collectors the disabled they weren't allowed near the temple because that would be breaking the rules and and so again i know there's a danger in sympathizing with the people that we know we're not supposed to sympathize with but i think it's it's, it's worthwhile here. Like, imagine you are a religious leader back then, in the time of Jesus, 2,000 years ago. And you know that you've got to keep the rules, because otherwise God's going to remove that blessing. Just like he did before. For you, seeking the peace of the city, seeking the welfare of the city, the welfare of the people, making sure that it's not destroyed again, that meant Keeping strict rules and it means keeping people out, keeping the rules and that holiness was defined by who you excluded, by who wasn't welcome, by the things that you couldn't do or see. And and the threat of Rome crushing everything is a real one all the time. This is what Rome did, and so <laughs> you know that at any moment, maybe God removes that blessing and Rome just brings its fist down. You've got to keep the rules. But then, and this is where it gets exciting for me, and then this rule-breaker comes along, and this, this feckless, reckless carpenter from Nazareth. And, and you all know, as religious leaders, that nothing good can come from Nazareth. And, and this carpenter... <laughs> who people seem to be following for some reason, starts picking grain on the Sabbath, uh, which is against the rules, and he shouldn't break the rules, because we know what happens when you break the rules. And, And this carpenter, he doesn't ritually wash his hands before he eats, and you're supposed to do that. That's keeping the rules, and you shouldn't break the rules, because you know what happens when you break the rules. And it gets worse. Now he's spending all his time with all these other law breakers, all these other rule breakers, these drunks, these prostitutes, these tax collectors. And he's telling people that the kingdom of God belongs to them. He's he's really breaking these rules, and we know what happens when you break the rules. And you ask his disciples, look, I want to understand, but why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and
1: sinners? I, I've,
0: I've, as, as a side note, I've just been fixated on this, that one verse for weeks now. So the next few, uh, next few weeks, we're going to be digging into that a bit deeper. Matthew nine eleven. why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Doesn't, doesn't he know what the rules are? and Doesn't he know what happens if he breaks those rules? I bring this up because, honestly, it, it makes me feel a little bit sympathetic to the Pharisees I know that we all know that the Pharisees are the bad guys. Uh, Sorry, not all of us. Those of us that have been reading our Bible for a while have probably worked out that the Pharisees are the bad guys because they don't recognize Jesus as Lord, and we're the good guys because we do recognize Jesus as Lord. But I think that, if I'm really honest, I think I have quite a lot in common with them. These are people trying to protect what they have. They're trying to hold on to what makes sense to them there are people motivated by fear rather than love and that fear leads to exclusion rather than a love that leads to
1: inclusion
0: the Pharisees and the religious leaders get a lot wrong so I'm not really saying we should take much of a lead from them they get things wrong, and a lot of people get hurt. But, but this memory of desolation and exile, it hasn't gone anywhere. And now <laughs> the carpenter, who is Jesus, by the way, big reveal, is, is walking around with this like lit match around all this powder keg that is 30 AD Jerusalem, where it could all just blow up at any moment.
1: Jesus, if you keep on breaking
0: the rules, we're going to lose everything. <laughs> the Romans are going to destroy us. God's going to remove his blessing. He's done it with Babylon. He's done it before, and he'll do it again. So, so let's read just this, this piece from John 11 again, a bit less of it. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. And then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You don't realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. You see what he's saying?
1: If Jesus keeps on breaking these rules, we
0: die. This carpenter isn't seeking the peace of the city. He's actually seeking its destruction. But what they didn't know then, and what we know now,
1: is that Jesus isn't worried
0: about these rules. It wasn't really about rules in the first place. When we look to Jeremiah, when we look at the other prophets, when we look at the books of the history, when we look at the books of the law, that it's not about God's law, It's about God's heart.
1: When we look at the heart of God, we see justice roll. When we see God's heart, we see a love of mercy. When we see God's heart, we know we've got to protect the foreigner. When we see God's heart. It's offering friendship. It's, it's all these
0: things. But, but the people weren't getting that. They weren't getting it in the time of Jeremiah. And, and so God's heart broke. But for Jesus, unlike the Pharisees, seeking the welfare of the city, which, which he weeps for, which he weeps for, is about making space and making room for people that had neither. It's offering real friendship to the despised, like even the tax collectors, I love this, even the tax collectors, those most despised members of society, so hated that the Pharisees wouldn't even accept their money. (laughs) Keeping the rules means keeping people out. So how much of a rule-breaker is this Jesus guy? The Pharisees won't touch the tax collector's money, and yet he's dining with them. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners?
1: The Pharisees
0: declare that if he truly were holy, there's no way he'd eat with them. But the simple truth is because Jesus is holy, that he
1: eats with them. Jesus doesn't exclude to be holy, he includes because he is holy. And, and nothing can change that.
0: Like, I, I really can't state how radical this inclusion was. Like, tax collectors had made a decision. They'd made a decision that put them at odds with their friends, their families, and aligned themselves with the empire that hated them. (laughs) And yet Jesus sits and eats with them. But Jesus keeps on breaking these rules, always breaking these rules. I'm just going to read this. I wasn't going to read this. I'm going to read it. It's like my favorite piece of scripture. Actually, I have lots of favorite pieces of scripture. But one of my favorite pieces of scripture is in is in John eight. John eight, beginning at um. Verse 1, at dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again at the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question to trap him in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first one to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, I thank God that I still get chills when I read that. Also, uh, super aside, there. I know we, y'all, y'all should all like think about the questions you want to ask when when we finally get to be face to face with the Lord, and that's going to be a glorious, beautiful, wonderful day. I have to know what Jesus wrote in the sand. Honestly, this like keeps me up at night. <laughs> but but we have this, we have this story. This this one of my favorite moments. And again, this woman who is so offensive and is so illegal. The rules say that she has to be killed. Like Those are the rules. Those are the laws. We've got to do it. But inherently, they know he's not going to. You notice that? They bring her to him so they can trap him. They already know that Jesus isn't going to follow the laws. They already know that Jesus is going to want to protect this woman. They already know that this person, that they despise they exclude that he's going to do all that he can to protect her. The rules declare that you should end her life, and if you're so holy, you should end her life, and you should know it.
1: Instead, Jesus
0: defends her. Every accuser silenced. Every accuser walked away. For Jesus, being holy means including. For Jesus, it means giving life rather than taking it away. So Jesus breaks the rules again and again and again. And unlike uh, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old James, who broke the rules because he was kind of a jerk, uh, Jesus breaks them because of the opposite. (laughs) Jesus breaks them because of love and because of compassion. And unlike 5, 6, 7, 8, 10-year-old James, who's breaking the rules, led to his exclusion, Jesus is breaking the rules to make sure that no one is excluded. For Jesus, seeking the welfare of the city, seeking the peace of the city in which he finds himself, is to love those with no one to love them.
1: It's to welcome those who have never felt welcome.
0: So, I guess this is where it gets hard and practical. (laughs) What does this mean for
1: us today?
0: Where, Where are we getting things wrong? Because of our ideas of what holiness looks like, of what rules we think are important. Where, where is God's heart beating? Where is God's heart being revealed? And where is God's heart breaking? There's so many churches right now. There's so many churches that think they're seeking the peace and prosperity of the community based on who they exclude. Like For so long, churches have done this and been defined by the ways and the people that have been excluded. And it's with shame and embarrassment that we look back on the ways the church has like oppressed women and in the name of following the rules For, for so long, I mean, the, the, the church excluded people on things they could never choose, their, their gender, the color of their skin, the people they love. It's with shame and embarrassment we look back at the church's historical treatment of people of color in the name of following the rules.
1: Jesus welcomes those that
0: even make bad decisions. <laughs> have made choices that make our despising them or wanting to keep them out understandable. Yet he still says, you are welcome. I want to sit and eat with you. And and I see this too, that so many churches kind of feel like we're we're, we're losing our identity or, or we're not. You've got to be set apart. And it means that we grip tighter to, to what we think works. And in doing that, we just squeeze the life out of it. When we come to be defined by the way that we exclude, rather than being defined by that radical Christ-imitating inclusion, things go wrong. I believe that if we want to seek the peace and prosperity of this city, if we want to see God's great plans to to prosper and not harm, I think this is what this looks like. (laughs) This has gone on longer than I thought, but I'm really, really, really close to the end now. I realize we've had hard conversations at Wellspring. I know it, and I feel it, and I know that you know it, and I know that you feel it too. But, but I honestly believe, I believe that everyone in this room right now is, is seeking the peace and prosperity of the city.
1: I believe you're seeking God's heart.
0: I believe that we're doing our best to live lives that are reflective of, of who Jesus is and how Jesus loves.
1: So, let, let, yeah, let, let me ask this question. Don't we want to be the church where people can ask?
0: Why do you welcome those that we exclude, (laughs) those that we consider sinners, and why do you sit and eat with them? And every single one of us can say, because it is where we find Jesus every single time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are and how you love us. And we pray that we can look to you over and over and over. And when things get loud or things get distracting or, or those rules that, that made so much sense for so long contradict who you are and the example you give, we pray that you
1: focus us on you again and again and again. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.